And now, Republic. Dan Happel. So, with that said, uh, uh, Diane, welcome to the program. I see you're on with us. Uh, we're new friends. I uh, have been uh, texting and emailing back and forth with you, but this is the first time we've had a chance to uh, share some time on air. I'm sure you'll enjoy this. I'm sure you'll enjoy the format and the program. And I know our listeners will enjoy Just hearing what you have to say. So, way. Diane, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. I forgot that you opened your show with Lee Greenwood, so you'll have to forgive me, but I, I had a hard time listening to that, that song. Well, a lot of people do, and then the fact is saying at least we know we're free, uh, that hasn't been the case. <laughs> It hasn't been the case for quite a long time. We don't know we're free. We think we're free, but that's okay. We, uh, we also know that America is a special place, and we do have to defend, uh, defend her with our lives. So that I think we're all in agreement with. Well, Diane, uh, first of all, you are new to the uh, podcast, but... Uh, talk a little bit about your background as an attorney in the Portland area and some of the things that you've been involved in. And I did mention before we uh, came on air that you were involved in a, I think, a landmark case, uh, Gruber v. the uh, Oregon State Bar Association. And the censorship that they were trying to pull and the fact that they were trying to uh, force you through the licensing program to uh, con conform to their ideas of a great woke society. Well, first of all, I think everybody in this country understands that the American Bar Association might as well be called the American Marxist Progressive Association, because that's exactly what they're promoting. Uh, they are as un-American as any group uh, in, in the world. Uh, and it's sad, because there's an awful lot of attorneys in our country that are really, truly good people and really, really, truly believe in our country. But they're being sold down the river by organizations like the Bar Associations. Diane, talk a little bit about uh, some of the things you've been involved in, please. Well, the Christian and conservative attor attorneys are being filtered out of the legal profession little by little as time goes on. Uh, the, the newer one, the newer people, younger people might want to become an attorney will think twice because they have to buy into the woke agenda, the Marxist agenda, or they will have trouble their whole, they won't go very far in their career for one thing, and they'll be treated horribly by the Oregon State Bar. Now, I watched the bar. I became an uh, Oregon State Bar member in 1986. I graduated. <laughs> I went to law school with the governor of Oregon. She that just left, Kate Brown. She was Brown. a Marxist. Mm -hmm. She was a Marxist then, and then she became a Marxist with power. Um, but anyway, uh, it wasn't that. It was in '87 when uh, Bork was borked off the Supreme Court. You might remember uh, Robert Bork, one of the brilliant mm -hmm. legal minds of our of our era. Uh, he wasn't allowed to become a Supreme Court member. 
uh, you know, justice of the Supreme Court. And uh, all the leftists uh, were jumping up and down, all excited and happy about it. That's a memory I have when I'm brand new and knowing nothing about the Oregon State Bar structure or anything. Well, it only went downhill by the, uh, after that. And in the early, it was, I believe it was 2001, they mandated DEI training for all of us or we would lose our license, diversity, equity, and inclusion training. Excuse me, they didn't call it that then, they called it diversity. And uh, um, this was just absurd. And, and, and all the membership were just absolutely, well, except maybe the leftists, were just, just disgusted and insulted. And uh, so in 2003, I ran for the House of Delegates, Oregon State Bar House of Delegates, and that's when I turned into a racist, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the first time I became a racist. Yes, it's all, and I've only gotten worse since then. And um, and so I was able to get the see the bar had done this snuck this behind our backs without our permission. The bar membership there was about thirteen thousand attorneys at that time, uh, bar membership in Oregon. And uh, I got I was able me and one other sole practitioner was able to get it on the ballot so that all the members could vote on this piece of crap. And the highest voter turnout ever. In the in among the bar membership, sixty-seven percent said get rid of this crap, but the bar gave us. The bar said, eh. The bar leader said, no, got to have it, got to have it. So to this day, they still have this training. It may even be worse now. I I, I don't know. I, I gave up my license in January twenty twenty, but the real they hated Bush, George W. They hated him with a passion. The bar leadership did a lot of things to um, harm the military the JAG officers and so forth within the, the bar membership did a number of things. But when Trump came along, they lost their minds. And I mean, they, it, it was just incredible. Okay. And attorneys have to go take uh, continuing legal education periodically in order to maintain your license. Well, the, within weeks of him being sworn in for the first time ever, they gave a free continuing legal education class First, you always had to pay for them. They were very expensive. Mm -hmm. First time ever, I remember February 14th, 2017, they gave a class and they invited the public. They advertised to the public. That was the first two. They never had, it was just attorneys needed. Why should the public want to sit there through a bunch of boring, you know, legal stuff, right? Well, then I realized why. It was all propaganda against Trump. Mm. Yeah, the whole, like, I don't know, three hours, I guess it was an afternoon, a morning, a morning session, and it was all propaganda against Trump. And it just got worse. And then two years, no, no, a year later, April, or was it April, I guess, 2018, in their monthly magazine, the Bar Bulletin, they put a two-page spread in there, which essentially warned any attorney who supported Trump or his policies better watch out or they'll lose their license. Keep your mouth shut or you'll lose your license. And wow. that's, when, that's when a bunch of us decided we were gonna sue. There's actually two suits right now pending. There's uh, Gruber and Runnels. That's based on the Janus case uh, versus the Oregon State Bar. And then as I understand it, Crow versus the Oregon State Bar is based on the Keller case. To make a very long, just to put it, I don't wanna bore your your, your listeners. But uh, it is illegal for any bar association, mm. mandatory bar association, to deal in 
to do public uh, political stuff. That's illegal. They're not allowed mm -hmm. to do it. And here they were in a two-page spread that in their magazine, uh, threatening, politically threatening anybody that supported Trump. But the, mm -hmm. I mean, come on. We're allowed to freedom of speech just because you're an attorney. No, you you're not. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's what the suit's all about. You know, I, well, I'm not the attorney. I'm not the attorney. Uh, you know, we have an attorney. He's handling it, and it's going to work its way up to the. We filed it in August of 2018, so we're going on five years now. Wow. <laughs> he says it's going to work its way up to the to the Supreme Court, and we shall see if they take mm -hmm. if they'll take it. You know, so that's well, where we're at. It, it's ridiculous how political the American Bar Association. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. AKA state bar associations because yeah. the ABA is kind of running the whole thing. Yeah. Um, it, it is so abjectly political now. And, uh, you know, Diane, you and I both know, and we will talk about this for the next hour and 45 minutes, but the bottom line, the reason they hated Trump so bad is because he's an anti-globalist. He is a, he believes in the United States of America as a constitutional republic under our original uh, Constitution and Bill of Rights. And I, he's made a lot of mistakes. So I'm, I'm not going to say that I blindly follow what Donald Trump does, but I don't doubt for one second that his motivations are the right ones in protecting us as a sovereign nation. And that's the the, the key to this yes. whole thing is globalism yeah. has destroyed the entire mm -hmm. political process from top to bottom. And they thought they had a slam dunk. They thought they could cheat their way through the 2016 election. And it didn't work because the voter turnout was so heavy, they couldn't cheat enough, but they managed to cheat enough in 2020. And incidentally, your articles that you're writing um, are excellent because you're mentioning the fact that the censorship now is the next move, and then they're going to start setting up the the uh, re-education camps. This has all happened before. It happened under communism. We better get used to the idea that uh, right now we're in a fight for our lives, and we better get off our butts and start being part of the part of the solution. Well, and the Washington State is already they're they're not even pretending anymore. They've mm -hmm. already set up a mechanism for re-education camps. They've had legislation that they put in um, that uh, it, it failed this year, but it was written by the attorney general who is now running for governor next year because uh, Inslee decided not to run again. He was such a Marxist flop. Uh, but yes, Ferguson uh, wrote it and promoted it uh, on television and so forth. And it would have thrown, uh, it would have chased down conservatives and Christians and either put us in jail uh, for wrong think, I guess, I don't know, or uh, psych wards. I'm not kidding you. No, I know you're not. I couldn't believe it. I, I, I mean, and, and NPR can, called it a model for the nation. This yeah. legislation yeah. was a model for the nation. There's, there's got to be other states that are, that are in the process. Uh, you know, uh, Democrat states that are in the process of doing the same thing. Well, so I'm matter of fact, I, I know that they're doing it in California. Gruesome Newsom has been uh, pushing and uh, trying to mandate these sort of programs for a long time. 
And I believe the California legislature is doing a very similar thing. So uh, it is happening. It started on the left coast. It's uh, um, on the east coast as well. I refer to it as the least coast of the left coast. <laughs> and God help us that they're in between because uh, America's sandwiched in between. Yeah. Um, incidentally, I, I want to introduce you to my producer and good friend, uh, Thumper. Uh, he is... Uh, uh, He's a Washington product. He's in Spokane. He oh. worked uh, against Inslee in the last uh, gubernatorial election. And uh, I, I want to introduce you to uh, to Thumper. Thumper, uh, come into the discussion the for a little bit. Here. Here. So I can see I him. I know <laughs> you would love Diane. This lady is dynamite. Well, I, I like her already. Uh, well, Thumper, you got to send me an email so we can communicate. We have a beach house on the Long Beach Peninsula. We live in um, Oysterville most of the year. Well, and I have a Harley, so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Come down and visit us. <laughs> oh, I've been keeping an eyeball on what uh, what's I, I belong to the John Birch Society chapter. There is that actually my my next door neighbor uh, started it in 2020, and um, we've been keeping an eyeball on what they were doing up in Olympia. And my goodness, I mean, this then, then this legislation popped up where they were going to imprison us. Oh, and, uh, what what we see here in Washington State is an absolute travesty. Uh, yeah. You know, I I was the uh, Eastern Washington campaign uh, manager for uh, Lauren Culp uh, for governor, and oh, uh, okay. Uh, so we worked really, really hard over here to uh, do our best for him. And uh, I know that we were very, very effective. Uh, you know, I talked to so many people that were so disgusted with Inslee. I was telling my audience on my show here the other day, you know, uh, how he brought that uh, box of maggot ridden apples to the small community after they had the big fire. You know, what an idiot. Uh, and well, then I didn't hear about that. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You remember I, we had the I big. Grew the, I grew up in the Wenatchee Valley. Oh yeah. Well, when, yeah. When, apple when, capital when, of the world. Yeah, the little the little community here that got run over by that freight train fire here two years ago, and Inslee shows up with a bunch of his apples that he uh, supposedly <gasps> poked off the trees there on the uh, on the grounds, uh, full of apple maggots. You know. <laughs> Oh, I thought you went were over, joking. Oh, went oh. Over, oh, it went over big. It went, yeah, it, that went over huge. Uh, and then Ferguson, uh, as you can see behind me, uh, that you know, I'm I'm a Second Amendment advocate. <laughs> me and, too. Um, you know, and, and Ferguson has an all-out you know uh, yes war yes. against our our uh, rights uh, to own and and keep guns. You know, and Washington State has probably one of the strongest uh, constitutions. Uh, next to the Second Amendment of uh, the federal constitution uh, to protect our gun rights. And then and then our individual rights. You know, Washington State's constitution uh, weighs heavily on our uh, individual rights as well. And they're stomping all over it, left and right. And uh, right. I'm, I'm t absolutely uh, adamant that uh, these people need to, we need to get rid of them. Uh, I, you know, we tried our best to get rid of uh, Inslee, uh, in the last uh, election there. Uh, but, you know. But uh, you know who state rep uh, Jim Walsh is, don't you? Jim Walsh? Uh, state rep. He's, he's been called the the supreme uh, Second Amendment uh, uh, representative in uh, in Olympia. Yeah. yeah. He's our representative where I live. 
we've we've got we we we've, we've we're supposed to have some really strong uh folks there in the in the uh uh legislature but uh you know some things i've found out uh um you know when they, they when they came in and they did the uh um the uh emergency uh uh act you know to give the governor all this power i forget the oh, the covid yes uh, yeah. well you know that and uh I had one of the uh, state legislators uh, when I was working the Culp campaign was telling me how they got that through. Uh, and that was a manipulation of the, you know, the Democrats coming in with a whole bunch of uh, anti-gun legislation as they do every session. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they said, well, you know, if you just sign off on this uh, emergency powers act, we'll back off on the second amendment stuff. And the Republicans, the, the conservatives, bought into that and got screwed totally. Well, we should never. I mean, look at how Reagan was. Well, mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't use the word screwed, but look what they did to Reagan on the Immigration oh, yeah. Act. Oh, yeah. Uh, remember that? The amnesty that they gave to all those people, but they never closed the border? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind they, of the same, the same thing. thing Democrats the... never tell the truth. They, they and it was the same thing with the deficit spending. He may worked a deal out with uh, O'Neill, and uh, look at look at how they screwed him on that. I mean, this, the the one thing you learn about communists is you don't negotiate with a communist; you kill them. Because <laughs> the fact is, is that there's no negotiating with a communist. All they do is take. They will suck you in and then eat you. Yep. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, that that's been my experience anyway, but uh, no, I, I am I am absolutely appalled at what's going on here in Washington State, and it sounds as though you are, and I'm very anxious to hear what you have to say. And uh, and uh, you know, we are we are kindred spirits in that respect. I'm sure. Well, and I'm going to make sure I share uh, contact information back and forth. Very good. Because uh, Diane, you need to uh, connect with Thumper because he's got a, a great audience. Uh, and a lot of our Washingtonians, so uh, it it will help your cause as well. Um, with that, I I want to welcome uh, George Kaler because George has been uh, patiently sitting there for a while. And George, uh, you are a fantastic friend. I have to tell you, I have gotten to be so uh, I don't know what you would say, but I guess fond of you as a friend. And as a fellow patriot, you stand out as someone who I think is absolutely remarkable. Uh, you have your own uh, cross to bear, as it were. And I know that you're limited in what you can say a little bit, but uh, tell us maybe if you would as much as you can about uh, how your cross to bear uh, came to be. I don't even know if my mic is working, is it? Yes, you're working okay. great. <laughs> okay, good to go. Yeah, I, my attorney just uh, came in a few minutes ago and told me that we're in court tomorrow. I said, well, thanks a lot for warning me this early. And uh, anyway, we, we brought some other people into the lawsuit that we have going in on, and we expanded it to a conspiracy. So uh, on this first lawsuit, uh, we're going for $2 million. And the second lawsuit, which he believes we're going to win, it's against a mega-billion-dollar company. Uh, we believe that we're going to win that one, too. That's for $15 uh, million. And uh, 
he brought in a courtroom expert who's great with juries. And uh, so instead of getting giving them 30%, I have to give them 40%. So I was talking to those guys and I said, well, you know, out of the 15 billion, you're, you're only going to get like 6 million of that. I said, yeah, we understand that's enough. And so, but, uh, so I'm in court tomorrow. It's just so frustrating for me that I was on the Capitol grounds, didn't go into the Capitol. Uh, we were invited in. It looked like a trap. And uh, I know what a trap looks like. <laughs> and uh, so we didn't go in. And that was on January 6th for our listeners. You were uh, at the uh, event uh, that uh, heard the president speak. You were there. Any anyway, go ahead. It was a very frustrating day for us. Uh, first of all, it was cold. Uh, they didn't have any porta potties. And uh, later on, I found a clump of bushes. And they said that <laughs> they said that Washington was built on a swamp. Well, I left a swamp. And uh, <laughs> anyway, it was cold. There were no restaurants open. And they didn't have any kiosks. I mean, they wanted us to, to be very, they wanted us to feel as unwelcome as we were. We were very unwelcome that day. And there were so many people. And I could see, um, I had some binoculars and I was looking up there across the lake. You know, there's a reflecting lake there at the Capitol. I was looking up there on the uh, veranda and um, there was a crowd up there. Well, the crowd was up there before Mr. Trump even spoke. Uh, they didn't even get a chance to hear him say, go peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. And uh, they were already up there. And then when I saw they were throwing uh, stun grenades down into that crowd, I said to a friend of mine, you know, that's got to make those people mad. And uh, it did. And, you know, in crowd mentality, even good people can get drawn into it. And, uh, you know, I toured with uh, Motown bands for six years. I guess a lot of my listeners know that. And we knew that when there was a, when the the crowd was getting rowdy, we had to send the uh, the bouncers in to calm them down right away and to take out what we called the provocateurs. Provoc How do you pronounce it, Diane? Provocateurs. 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 Yeah, well, there were provocateurs there in the uh, crowd, and and uh, they were stirring up the trouble. In fact, a lot of them are not in jail. There's about 500 people rotting in jail after they had been invited into the Capitol. And there's a girl that went in with uh, Ashley Babbitt, and she's in hiding now. And uh, I don't know where she is, and I won't give her the, give the name, of course, on the air here. And, and uh, But uh, she's afraid for her life. Luckily, she had on a hoodie and a, and a face mask at the time, so they haven't been able to track her. She didn't have her cell phone with her, so... They can't do it by ping. So she's in hiding because she witnessed a murder. And it's just so frustrating. By the way, I've never begun a show before with crying. I was dabbing tears listening to Lee, Gre Lee Greenwood. Uh, he sang at a dinner party I attended about 20 years ago. It was the first time I heard the song. He uh, introduced it to us and sang it to us, and it was just him. And uh, we were all just in tears. 
I, I every time since I, I can't hold it back. I don't even try. My eyes are just watering up, and I noticed Diane doing the same thing there. I guess any patriot is just going to feel the same way when they hear Lee sing that song. So the the court case, uh, it's not going to be the trial tomorrow, just another. They're asking for what's a, called a demure. Do you know what that is, Diane, a demure? Well, they're not going to admit anything. They don't admit it, but my lawyer said basically, uh, and by the way, he's a good lawyer, but his older brother is with the Liberty Council. And uh, so they come from a long line of uh, attorneys, and they're really good. He's a little powerhouse of a guy. And uh, he said that they're going to, well, they, in, in a way you're right and in a way you're wrong. They admit that they said all these horrible things about me and got me fired and all that, but it's okay because I'm a public figure and they can do whatever they want, and it's okay, like Dan Heppel there. Whatever I want to do to him, it should be okay, because he's famous and probably rich as well. So let's go get him. <laughs> Boy, and, uh, you missed that one. <laughs> well, the judge, the judge denied the demure, and it's uh, almost certainly going to move to trial. It's just taking so long to do this, though. I'm, I'm 80 years old, and, and I'm thinking about I might be 150 by the time I get any money out of the, those people. But your kids will be wealthy. Your kids will be wealthy. I'm not wealthy anymore. Uh, Mr. Obama shut down my family's coal fields, and then uh, Mr. Biden came along and shut off our gas wells. And so we're not selling any coal or gas. So you're looking at a really poverty-stricken guy right now. <laughs> but I'm here at my firm. Uh, Kaler Wealth Management. So I, I still have that going, and and uh, my clients are still staying with me. So I'm, I'm making some money there, a quarter of a percent on everything that's with me. And uh, so if someone has a dollar with me, uh, I get uh, 0.25% of a penny. <laughs> if he has $100 with me, I get 25 cents. So you're probably pitying me right now for being so poorly paid, but it, it pays. Not pay. really, because I know that if you put together enough uh, strategies with enough clients, you can do pretty well with that. Well, a little bit of a lot still is a lot. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to court tomorrow. And my lawyer said, George, I've seen your financial statement and you don't need money. Is this about vengeance? And I said, no, it isn't. But as soon as you're financially ruined, publicly justice. disgraced, uh, I'll be okay. <laughs> What's about justice? Justice. It's, you know, the human heart cries yes. out for justice. It's yes. just the way it is. And and yeah. what's so hard for Diane, Dan, and me is we're all decent people. And it's just so difficult to watch what's going on. And we're going to be talking about the woke people in a little bit. And uh, our hearts are crying out for, hey, this just can't stand. It just mm -hmm. can't. Well, George, I'm going to I'm going to say something, and this is a great way to lead in. We'll use this as a segue into the discussion about woke culture. But there's an awful lot of good people out there that think they're doing the right thing. They think they're doing, uh, you know, their their uh, liberal duty to try to make everything warm and fuzzy for everybody so that uh, nobody is 
uh, feels out of place. Everything is wonderful. Everything's uh, uh, just and warm and all this stuff. And they don't realize they're being played like a, like a cheap fiddle by a bunch of globalists that want us to live under technocratic feudalism and literally destroy all freedoms uh, right across the board so that anybody who happens to be able to survive the calling of the herd are going to be uh, subjects of these technocratic feudalist masters. Now, you know, come on, people, use your head. <laughs> you know, it's, it is about globalism, but it's about globalism so that a handful of people can have everything, and the rest of us are going to be uh, at their beck and call, whether they want us to live or die or whatever, we will be controlled by them. Now, that's a great way to start about wokeness. Let's talk about wokeness. And uh, Diane, I'll, I'll give you a chance to get back into the discussion because I know you love the woke culture and it makes so much sense to you. <laughs> well, just coincidence, this is pure coincidence. About two weeks ago, my brother-in-law told me that they're rewriting, um, whoever owns the copyright is rewriting 1984, get a copy now or else you won't be able to, it'll be revised, get the original copy. And they've been doing that with so many things, not just Dr. Seuss, and they're doing it to Agatha Christie now, and I can't remember a couple of those. They're taking Diff Tocqueville, his three volume tome. They're take, they, you can't, apparently, I understand you can't get the original anymore. They have rewritten it, so-called historians have rewritten it and removed any reference to Christianity, which was just, abundant in his, in his original bone. I mean, that's just, they're rewriting history and so forth. Could I read a little bit from 1984? Is that okay? Because oh, sure, sure. my way of thinking, okay, it says it all. It just, it, this, this should this, be, this, this, this should be required reading for all high school kids. By the way, you, you know said, what? Oh, George, I'm, I'm struggling to get through it. It's so depressing. I'm, I'm about halfway through. It's, it's depressing. Because <laughs> you're reading and there's nobody events. over, basically nobody over 55 or 60 because they evaporated the older generation because the mm -hmm. re re revolution only occurred in the 50s in this book. And this is 1984. So they went, yeah. they got rid of most of the people that remembered how good it was before the revolution. But anyway, let me just read I read this. it in 63, Diane. Uh, that's me? how far back. I read... Uh, 1984 in 1963, I also read Animal Farm within probably a couple of months. So I've never read it before, and I'm going to buy Animal Farm before they, you know, bastardize it. Anyway, Newspeak. Newspeak was the official language of Oceania. By the way, this takes place in London. So this is the country's named Oceania now, and had been devised to meet the ideological needs of English socialism. In the year 1984, there was not as yet anyone who used Newspeak as his sole means of communication. Uh, it was expected that Newspeak would have finally superseded Oldspeak, which is, you know, regular English, by about the year 2050. Ooh, that's, ooh, yeah, that's the target for a lot of the globalist poppycock. The purpose of Newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression for the worldview and mental habits proper to the devotees of English socialism, but to make all other modes of thought impossible. 
It was intended that when new speak had been adopted once and for all, old, old speak forgotten, a heretic thought, a thought diverging from the principles of so, uh, English socialism would be literally unthinkable, at least so far as it, 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 the thought is dependent on words. I'm almost done. Newspeak was designed not to extend, but to diminish the range of thought. And this purpose was indirectly assisted by cutting the choice of words down to a minimum. They were even cutting out adjectives. There's only like two or three words for good. Everything else was removed. Excellence was removed and, you know, some of the other adjectives that mean good. I mean, they just, but this is what they're doing to us now, isn't it? I mean, we're not allowed, you know, if we if we say she, when the person wants to be called he, we're in trouble. Uh, you make some, you, you, you're talking about, oh, almost anything. And they say, well, that's racist. So you can't say that. Or that's transphobic. You can't say that. That's sexist. Don't say that. You know, they've already, I mean, how many people's careers have been destroyed? Because they used a word that the woke mob didn't like. I mean, how many? I mean, this has been going on for uh, at least people in the public sphere for, I don't know, 20 odd years now? Maybe longer than that. And um, it's to control the thought. Well, you mentioned you belong to the John Birch Society. Mm -hmm. Did you know that they have one of the largest uh, repository of books in the world? And they are, they're keeping books like um, 1984, An Animal Farm, and mm -hmm. and uh, De Tocqueville, and, and other. Um, oh, maybe they have De Tocqueville then. Oh, original. they have all of that. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, they keep it safe uh, from, it's even safe from an atomic bomb. So um, the digital. In their, in their headquarters in Michigan, is it? Yeah, probably, uh, I can't probably. say where it is. Uh, our chapter leader, when I joined back in 1972, our chapter leader was Larry McDonald, Congressman oh, Larry wow. McDonald, and, and he was killed uh, on Korean airliner 07, um, and it was immediately after he was working to get the Fed audited. And coincidentally, uh, John F. Kennedy was killed right after he was his big move to get the Fed audited. In fact, he issued United States currency. Well, I'm getting off the subject a little bit, and uh, but I wanted to intercede. You said you belong to the John Burr Society. They are yeah. they are keeping those books safe so that they can never be uh, Good. Well, and Glenn Beck is, is and uh, Mark Levin have uh, some original, I don't know if they're amassing books and books and books, but they have some original documents that they bought in intentionally so they wouldn't be destroyed down the down the line because our history is being rewritten i mean biden i will not cause him call him president because he wasn't elected by the people legally elected but mm -hmm. he had he started right off before he entered the white house hiring two historians to start rewriting history mm -hmm. um michael besloff and um don mitchum mitchum I used to like John Meacham. I'm done with him. But Betchloff wrote his um, inauguration speech, I believe it was, even. I mean, wow. they're creating, and this is exactly what's going on in 1984. They are rewriting uh, this uh, fellow named Winston Smith, the main character in this book. He is uh, works for the 
ministry of truth. <laughs> I love that. They're the right rewriting words. Truth no longer means truth. He is literally recreating history by by going back and rewriting things in the past that don't suit the current, you know, Marxist narrative. And and like he's wiping out uh, figures from the past, historical figures and everything. They, they, they just don't exist. You can't, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to have, a, I guess, books or newspapers. You're not allowed to have it from the past. I'd like to say a 30 or 40 or 50 year old newspaper that's that talks about XYZ. He's rewritten it completely. Diane. You're not allowed to have the original. You keep firing my synapses here, Diane. <laughs> it's okay, George, because <laughs> I run out of things. I can just rattle on. <laughs> she does this. She's, Diane is in a, uh, a weekly podcast with Dr. Steve Putney, Professor Putney, who is mm-hmm. uh, one of the smartest uh, historical yes. Yes. experts, constitution. He's just a genius. I Last night, as a matter of fact, I attended his history class. He teaches a history class um, in town in Lynchburg here. But you mentioned about people do what they think is right in their hearts. During the 80s, I lived in Heidelberg, Germany, when I ran the European division of AIG. It was a good company back then, by the way. And uh, I had friends who were in World War II and friends who had once been in the Nazi party. And I had a friend who had the unfortunate birth of his father was the producer of a movie called The Eternal Jew, which is a precursor Mm -hmm. to the Holocaust. And all of those people who we now consider some of the worst people in history, they all thought they were doing the right thing. In fact, uh, well, the SS had on their uh, belt buckles, Gott mit uns. It means God is with us. God is with us. And they were not. As they're slaughtering children, they thought they were, no, serious. They truly in their Mm -hmm. heart thought they were doing the right thing when they're slaughtering children. Everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. Well, Diane, I I know some uh, uh, people like like George uh, that were actually living in part of uh, the Third Reich. Were living in Germany, and you know they really thought they were doing uh, the right thing. You can do that if you can control the narrative, and that's why. It is so important for people like uh, China Joe and um, <laughs> his uh, old Biden. I call him old Biden because we know that Obama's serving his third term. Yes, uh, yes. But yeah. but the bottom line is they want to control the narrative. That's why they've got so many things going now to silence us, to shut down our programs, and to promote the the new think the the new ideas of the left as being the right thing because they figure if they can get enough people sucked into this program they can control the narrative and then guess what you me george people who talk about patriotism people who uh pray to god every day we're going to be the ones in the camps not them us and that's how they do it. They control the narrative. And yes. that's why it's so important we get the word out and get people to understand what's happening before it's allowed to happen. Well, Dan, do you get I get the feeling that people, some people, 
are not only are waking up, but they're starting to speak out a little bit more than say a year or two ago. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. As a matter of okay. fact, um, <laughs> that's why it's so important we keep the fight uh, going because people are waking up and we're, they're waking up not, not because of what we've said. Although now they're starting to say, hey, you were right all along. You really aren't wearing a tinfoil hat. But the the whole thing now is that they're exposing themselves because they're in such a panic to get it all done that they're showing their hands before they're ready ready to play the game. And uh, people are starting to realize it. And like, you know, the name of my program is Connecting the Dots. All the dots connect. You just have to look for them. You know, Dan, you you were talking about what people do and how they're going to be sorry about doing it. And as a financial planner, I tell people, you know, I give them advice. And a couple of weeks ago, a client of mine who's really, he's still a friend and uh, he's no longer a client, but he took his money and what with another firm. And I said, that particular investment you're looking at, you're probably going to lose about a million dollars. He said, no, it's guaranteed I'm, I'm going to make a million dollars. We lost a million dollars. And I'm uh, I'm actually kind of an I told you so kind of guy. But, <laughs> but <laughs> you. what do you do? Especially when it comes to money, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't help me one bit that he lost his money. Even after I told him not to do that, he still did it. But my I told you so's are so horrible that I can't say them. And I was warned when I came into this business 52 years ago after Motown that never say I told you so because it's just too horrible. And uh, we're going to have some horrific I told you so's down the road. But what are we going to do? Are we going to actually say I told you so? Uh, I don't no. think we can. But no, how much can't. of the damage, my worry is how much of the damage in just barely two years, barely two years, how mm-hmm. much of the damage can be replaced if we get a, 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 an America-loving um, uh, House, Senate, and President in there? Because so much of the damage is now intertwined in uh, the legislation, mm-hmm. in bills. I mean, the so-called... Uh, uh, what was it? infrastructure bill only has 11% infrastructure, for example, it has a lot of social engineering in there and a bunch of, you know, uh, and the inflation reduction act. I mean, I mean, what a joke. Does anybody believe that title? They accept it like, you know, a, a rose by any other name. I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard that term my whole life. I know what that concept means. So you can call something, call something a pig, a dog, a pig, but it's still not a pig. It's a dog. I mean, mm-hmm. so I don't, I, 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 how much can, well, we, can it be fixed? The damage is just well, horrendous to our economy, especially. So, the, well, and only is the, the damage terrific, but the fact is, is a lot of the people who we thought were on our side are uh, controlled. They are part of the controlled. Um, you know, controlled opposition. And I use the establishment Republican Party. Now, I've been uh, a constitutional Republican my whole life, but I can tell you, I've worked 
at the very, very center of uh, the Republican Party in Montana. Looks like I'm going to end up losing my internet. So if, if I do, you guys pick up for me and just keep going. Oh, and oh great. On. But um, anyway, the, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that everything has gone so far right now, I think, that we are facing an obvious revolution in this country as the only alternative. I'm sorry to say that. I wish that were not the case, but I believe that uh, that is the case, and I think they want that to happen. That's the reason they're pushing all the buttons that they're pushing, because they want to see it happen. Uh, Dan, um... I'm actually a pretty good shot, and <laughs> I'm well armed. So, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think we all are. But then Diane has 20 acres on her uh, property to practice uh, with. So, but by the way, I'm into air rifles now, and I have one air rifle that will kill any large game animal on the face of the earth. Ooh. And uh, and so <laughs> they just die in silence. And so, uh, a little aside there, but. Uh, Revolution. I hope. I really, really hope it doesn't come to that. But we I have to too. be. We have to be prepared. Rush Limbaugh likened what's going on now. And I just loved Rush, and I miss him so bad. But Rush said, even if you get a, a fabulous crew and pilot into a seven forty seven that has been taking a nose drive dive down to the the ground. Can they pull out in time when the previous crew was trying to crash the plane? And I think that's what you alluded to. Even if we get somebody really fabulous in the White House and we get a majority of conservatives, can they stop the crash that is so well entrenched now that it looks as though we are really are going to crash and burn? Can they do that? Well, you know, well, I, I, you know, I, George, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Diane. Well, I'm sorry, Dan. I was just going to say the word digital currency flashed through my mind. Once they've outlawed cash and, 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 and we, and they will control who starves and who doesn't via digital currency, there, there can't be a revolution. We won't be allowed to buy anything. We'll be living in starvation in the streets. Anybody that has an independent thought will be completely controlled via digital currency. So how can there be a revolution? Well, uh, uh, Diane, uh, and I'll, I'll answer that one. I, th I think there will be, because there are enough of us out there that have been seeing this come for a long time. Now, true, a lot of us are getting to the age where we can't be the warriors we once were, but there we can be mentors. And the fact is, uh, there are a lot of people that have seen this coming. Now, now you're right. In the long term, it, you know, if nothing happens, they will win because they will control everything. They will control what you eat, what you drink, what, where you live, everything about you through this cashless digital society that they have planned. But uh, until they get that whole program in place, 
we have an opportunity to stop them and we have an opportunity. It's why it's so important that people speak up now because one thing I think people still have a hard time with, I've been teaching this for 20 years. They plan to reduce the world's population by 93%. It's in their own words. They've been talking about it for nearly a century. Uh, they have written about it in their biodiversity documents. They've written it in the Agenda 21 language. They plan to call the herd, the human herd, for their sustainable world. And people get used to the idea that if you don't do it now, you don't stand up now, you're not going to get another chance because they plan to kill off most of us Anyway, so what do you have to lose? You know, it's like that discussion I had the other day. I uh, I had a, uh, a breakfast meeting with uh, Dr. Uh, Rima Lebo, and uh, Dr. Rima's been around a long time, brilliant lady. Um, we had some people sitting behind us in another booth that were in their late 70s, early 80s, and they were listening to our conversation. And as they were getting up to leave, they came over and talked. And of course, I had my Impeach Everybody t-shirt on, uh, which is always a crowd pleaser. Yes. And uh, I, uh, you know, they started visiting with us and, and we started talking with them real honestly. And you could see the the shock in their faces. And I said, they said, this is too frightening to even hear for most people. I said, I understand that. But you have to realize how important it is that you do your own investigation. Don't believe what we're talking about. Look for yourself because the information is out there if you just look yes. for it. Yes. And um, they said, well, we're old. There's nothing we can do. So we're just going to uh, wait and see what happens. And I said, think of it this way. You're 80 years old. You don't have a lot to lose except the future of your children and your grandchildren. If you're ever going to fight, do it now because you've already lived a good life and God will take care of you. If you're a warrior in his cause, he'll take care of you. So don't you don't need to worry about it. And that's the way we need to start thinking. It really is. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, George. That's yeah, kind of how say, I go ahead, George. I'm no, sorry. I was you mentioned calling the herd. Um on Friday, a client of mine called me from the hospital. I won't say the hospital, but it wasn't in Virginia. It was a major hospital, and he was about to go into surgery. He asked me to pray with him. He was having blood clots removed from his lungs. They had hardened and his lungs had one eighth the capacity. Mm that they had before his vaccination. I have two clients who lost their wives, one two weeks after the uh, booster from blood clots. The second one got severe dementia immediately after, and she died. So calling the herd, um, they are really calling the herd in, in, among my friends because mm -hmm. having two dead and one in very, very serious trouble after the mm -hmm. vaccination. 
Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't get vaccinated no matter what they did to me. I have a young doctor uh, client of mine. He's a financial genius. I, I don't know why I'm his financial planner because he made half a million dollars from 5000 in digital currency. Mm-hmm. Then he gave the uh, most of the profits to me to put into a, oh. a very large uh, single-pay life insurance policy. But he is not going into the medical profession after he was told he quit the clinic. His first day on the job, he was to do a pap smear on a man. And they told him he had to do it. He just wouldn't do it. He had to get a vaccination to stay in residency. He would not get the vaccination. They told him they were going to take him out of there and he wasn't ever going to be a doctor. And he came to me, what do I do, George? And I said, take a sabbatical. They can't stop you. Once Governor Youngkin, who's a really good man and a friend of mine, he might run for president. Once Governor Youngkin is in the governor's office, he'll do away with the vaccination mandates and you can go back to your residency. By the way, people ask me all kinds of advice, not just financial. So uh, take a sabbatical and you'll get out of the vaccination so you don't have to die. But calling the herd, I believe that this is this is really going to be bad. Well, and one of the reasons they oh, want to call, be awful. yeah, they want to call the herd of us older people is because we uh, have more respect for the Constitution. We were raised with an understanding of how important the Bill of Rights are. We remember when there were more freedoms. We remember when the government didn't own every little diddly aspect of your life. And it was interesting because I, I got to think, thinking about this when Attorney Gen, Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson gave an interview to NPR uh, in January about this legislation where they wanted to <clears throat> they wanted to uh, put us into psych wards or or jail us if we are conservative and so forth. He actually emphasized starting it with older people. And he didn't, wasn't talking 80 something. He was talking fifties and sixties. And, and I got to, and I think that's because, and, and even maybe even said forties, I think that's because almost everybody, especially if they grew up in the state of Washington or Oregon or California, uh, is in the public schools has been completely indoctrinated with, with Marxist poppycock. And so he's not as worried that that there's that many free thinkers in that age group as he is the older age group. And then I read 1984, and they have vaporized all the older people. They vaporized them. Keep in mind, the revolution is less than 40 years before 1984 in this book, the storyline, okay? There's hardly anybody existing above 60 in this book. They're in their so far, all the people I've met are in their 20s and 30s in this book. And this and he and this Winston Smith wants to go talk to people. There are a few hiding here and there. He wants to go talk to older people and to see what because they have a memory of what it's like before the revolution, because he was 10 mm-hmm. when his parents and sister were vaporized and he doesn't. And the revolution came. And so he doesn't have a memory, really, of 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 what life was like before they it you know descended into the hell hole he now lives in. And the older well, people won't talk about it. What few were left won't talk about it because they don't want to be vaporized. So 
and and Diane, again, we go back to what we were talking about ten minutes ago, controlling the narrative. They want to control the narrative, and they've been working in our education system, the Marxist indoctrination of our children since the 1930s, and the teachers' colleges and all that. But uh, keep in mind, too, that uh, we're the ones that paid into the Social Security program and Medicare and Medicaid mm -hmm. and all that stuff all the years. Now mm -hmm. we're at the age where we're uh, using those services. The mm -hmm. best thing they can do is get rid of it. Yes. You know, yes. Get us I wonder if that's, so there's a I wonder if that's, do you think, and this just thought popped in my head, do you think that's why they created COVID? Because they knew it would oh, affect sure. the lungs and the lungs are the key thing that older people die from. That's why they, so many older people die of the plain old flu in the wintertime, whereas the young people never die of flu. Uh, you think that's why they created it? According to the uh, information, uh, Dr. David Martin has been a speaker at a number of our Red Pill Expos. Uh, Dr. Martin has tracked 70, I think 76 patents uh, on either COVID or on the vaccines. So uh, you can't patent something that's naturally occurring, okay? That's well, uh, that's a yeah. very, very key part of this whole program. You, you, uh, you can't patent something that's naturally occurring. So obviously they created this. It, was, it has been uh, very evident that it's directed to people who have compromised immune systems, elderly people. You look at the statistics, who yeah. it has taken out. It is all the people that you're talking about that, um, you know, they would consider useless eaters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know something about this, being in the business I'm in. Um, the social security system in general, it wasn't actuarially designed very correctly. And uh, people are living too long. When it came along, people, you know, they retired and they lived two more years and yeah. Yeah. that was it. You didn't have yeah. to pay out very long. No. In the long-term care insurance, um, a lot of people bought long-term care insurance. And some of the biggest companies like Mass Mutual, uh, one of the biggest companies in the world that sold long-term care insurance, they just had to double the premiums because they didn't count on so many old people needing long-term care. And it's the same with Social Security. It is going broke. Uh, when I applied for Social Security about, I don't know, 15 years ago when I was, uh, I think I applied at age 66. And I said to the, I said to the guy who was my... Uh, counselor in this, I said, what are all those young people out there doing? Young, young black women, mainly. He said, they're here for the crazy money. I said, well, crazy money, what's that about? He said, well, there's some cooperating doctor who will list one, two, three, four, or five of their kids as special needs. Yes. Yeah. Up yeah. On Social Security. I said, how yeah. much is that? He said, yeah. maybe 1200 1400 a month each. Yeah. yeah. He said, five kids? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're pulling down maybe six, seven thousand dollars a month tax yeah. free. Plus, they yes. get free housing, mm -hmm. free food. Mm -hmm. I said, "Why am I working?" 
Yeah. My CPA told me about a family of seven who was every year when they come in to do their taxes with him, they'd be strutting and about how six of how successful they were in getting six of their kids labeled as disabled so that uh, they got all this money coming in and how disappointed they were they weren't able to do that seventh kid. Now, and according to the CPA, none of the children were truly disabled. So I, how the game is played is beyond me. I don't know how that works. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Social Security because what I started noticing uh, during the Obama administration, and, and of course, George W. and Obama were, were soulmates in wanting to destroy the middle class. But, but I started noticing old people working in stores. And I don't mean 65 years old. I mean people that look to me in their late 70s or 80s trudging around as clerks at, at various stores. And, I'm, and I wasn't used to this. I'm going, what? You know, I, nobody in my parents' generation had to, do, had to work for the modest amount that you would get, you know, as a clerk in a store and, and so forth. And, but of course I concluded it's, you know, because of the uh, Obama intentionally, you know, kept the economy stale. Well, not, but a few, once it dawned on me at this one particular store, I realized just a few blocks away was the Social Security office. It was full of people who couldn't speak English who were in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Walk into the to the uh, waiting room, and there's no room for us old people to sit down when I had to get my Social Security going uh, because the illegal aliens are all in there with their little kids. They're in there with their little kids getting their uh, getting their money. Now, I realize that doesn't come from the Social Security taxes, but it is administered through the Social Security Administration. And a few years earlier, I was in there one time in the Social Security office, and and it was empty. There wasn't anybody waiting. But during the Obama years, it, it was not only full, but it was so full that they went and got an armed guard to stand outside and keep the rest of us outside instead of trying to get inside. So... Uh, anyway, I, 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 that just came to mind. So, so here on the one hand, these are, are these American uh, people, uh, old elderly people, forced to work at for peanuts, and the illegals are getting tax dollars just because they snuck across the border. There's something very wrong with that. I think the American people well, should sure be taken care of first. <clears throat> we have we have suffered the most egregious. Uh, things as a result of being quiet and uh, not wanting to cause a yeah. stir. We're too it's polite. Time, it's yeah. time for America to cause a stir. It's time for us to say, you know, it's like um, what, what would uh, Howard Beale uh, in the movie, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the movie, uh, anyway, uh, he was talking. He was a newscaster, and he said, uh, "I'm, I'm, uh, I'm damn mad, and I've had enough. Or I'm mad as hell, and I've had enough. We I'm need not going to take it anymore. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to take it anymore, and that's oh, where we need to be." Now. And Jason, yeah. Jason Robarts was the actor, wasn't he? Jason Robarts? Uh, no, not I can't remember his name. He was good. He died immediately after the movie. He got an <laughs> Academy Award posthumously. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little well, bit anyway. Like, uh, but 
We need to understand that they are, this isn't something that's new. It's just that most people had such a, a, a strong sense of faith in our country, in our system, in our government, in our elected officials, we believed that they were there for the right reasons, and the fact is, is they weren't. Um, you know, I take a look at, and I mentioned this in an article I wrote not long ago. I think, uh, George, this is one you uh, like particularly, but um, we're looking at the rhinos that are part of the Republican Party, and uh, John McCain and Mitt Romney. I mean, the two, other than Trump, the two only Republican candidates after George, Mr. Globalist W. Bush, W in his name stood for world. Uh, he's <laughs> globalist, uh, just like his dad. And just it like wasn't Walker, granddad. huh? No, it was world. Uh, Anyway, uh, look at the candidates that the Republican Party had for president. No, I mean, Mitt Romney is so disgusting, I, I can't even stomach looking at the man. He, he is a snail. If, if, if he were to go across the floor, there'd be a slime trail following him. Oh. Um, Certainly, John McCain. It was it was obvious that John McCain was a, a uh, he was a traitor. He was a traitor. Yeah. Uh, a the people for. who were in the Hanoi Hilton with him said he was a traitor, but they silenced them. This is the kind of things that we've got going on in our country, and it's been yeah. that way for a long time. We were just too, uh, too we were too accepting, and we had too much faith in our so-called leaders. And we shouldn't have. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I I uh, I was I was so turned off by George W. when he stood. Ah, uh, gosh, I can't remember. Was it twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two? He stood. He, it must have been twenty twenty one. It was during the nine eleven commemoration. You know, Jan. You know, September. September 11th, 2021. I mean, uh, 2001. Anyway, it was a commemoration. It must have been the 10, the 20 year one. 20, yeah. Okay. He stands up there and he equates all that slaughter by these uh, Islamic radicals under his watch. He equated that to January 6th, 2021. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, George. You are now about equal to Muhammad Atta. Wow. Who's, well, yes, and I, right I openly, but I mean, I he openly stood admit, Diane, I was at January 6th, too. George and I were going to try to get together, and we didn't. We we were both kind of running busy, and we didn't get a chance to do it. But I was there and stood in the ellipse in front of the president and heard his speech. And so, uh, according to what I'm hearing now, I am as guilty of sedition as anyone who was actually inside the Capitol. And, uh, and l let's get this right. The ones that are seditionists are the ones that are, that are in the Capitol and go there every day as our so-called leaders. Oh. Those are the seditionists. 
Right. Uh, the people who were at the Capitol were there to save our republic. There's no yes. question about it. And yes, I we we looked at the at the crowd, George. You could pick the uh, the um, um, well the instigators of all the problems and stuff. You could pick them out of the crowd, and they weren't Trumpers. They were. They were there. They were obvious. I, I'm sure that a lot of them were uh, FBI or Antifa or whatever. But there, they, you could pick them out of the crowd. And all the people that I was standing around, uh, we were all real serious Trumpers, uh, just believed in America. And you know, we're turning around and talking to each other. That guy doesn't belong here. I don't know what he's here for, but obviously he's here to cause problems. And lo and behold, when they had the filming of the, you know, what happened at the Capitol, they were the ones that were there in the back trying to instigate everything in the crowd. They were the ones that ended up uh, at the Capitol that, uh, as George said, they were the ones that uh, somehow didn't get prosecuted, but uh, all the, the good people, the real patriots ended up, a lot of them are still in prison. Yeah. It's so unfair. You know, a girlfriend yeah. of mine, well, she's a younger girlfriend. She's only 77. Uh, <laughs> she was there with me that day. And uh, we separated for a while. And, and uh, oh, yeah. I said, where were you? And she said, well, I was, I was over by the Capitol steps. And uh, they'd taken down the uh, little barriers. I said, who took them down? She said, Antifa. I said, how do you know they were Antifa? She said, I asked them. They said they were making $45 an hour. And one of them said, we're making $45 an hour. What are you making? She said, (laughs) that's a good wage, actually. Pretty good wage. They they just admitted it. I guess they thought she was just an old fool and there was no. no They knew they had cover. They knew they had cover. Well, they did. And uh, anyway, she took a lot of pictures. And Diane and and I were actually talking to her on the phone, but she took a lot of pictures of whom she thought were really out-of-place people. And uh, she -hmm. went to post them online, and now uh, her phone doesn't work. She can't get online. Uh, Nothing is working for this woman. And uh, Mm -hmm. But I think she just stepped over the line when she was taking pictures of the what we call plants, the plants that were there. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about the story I heard from my hairdresser here in the in the Black Hills. So I'm sitting there getting my hair cut, and I don't know how we got on the topic. I, oh, January 6th committee was doing some poppycock, whatever. And I, I had to sit there throughout my haircut listening to her tell me what a bunch of phony such and such that um, January 6th was. She's been to the Capitol 10 times. She's a member of the school board here. And they have to go back there every September and beg for money from the federal government because most of the Black Hills is uh, owned by the federal government. It's it's the Black Hills National Forest. Actually, our property here, our 20 acres, uh, three sides of it is the National Forest. That's why we wanted this place because other people can't build next to us and all the all the animals can run free and so forth. Anyway, um, so she has to go there every September and get money from the federal government to run the school, the schools uh, in her in her school district. And she said, 
the security on January 6th was was nothing. I mean, they just didn't have it. She says, there's no way whenever she's been there every time, and she's had rifles stuck on her face when she walked down the wrong hallway. She says there's three levels of security, three perimeters or whatever you call it, in the Capitol building. That's where she would go once a year to meet with her Congress people, okay? And, and she says, no, this is a complete setup, 100% setup, because there's no way any of those people could have gotten in there if they just had the normal security that they have every Monday, through Wednesday, you know, Monday through Friday kind of thing, she said. So it was complete a complete setup, and the, you know. Hmm. So there we are. And then when we got the the uh, forty one, what was it forty one thousand hours worth of tapes, surveillance tapes? Yeah, we saw the policemen escorting people into the building. Right. She said they never did that. You know, they would stand their guard, and she'd be stripped down, half naked. You know, before she could get in the first layer. And she's somebody that was invited in had appointments and so forth with, you know, there was a bunch of them, like 10 of them, I think she said, they, they, mm-hmm. they go together from the school districts in the Black Hills. So it was all set up. It was a it was set up. A and uh, George, I've tried to connect you. I don't know, we've never done it, but uh, David Sumrall, uh, the gentleman who has put together a lot of the footage uh, of uh, the January 6th event, uh, he's also been part of the effort to create the the uh, book, uh, the American Gulag Chronicles, which was letters from the people that are incarcerated uh, in the DC Gulag. Uh, and and I, if you have not bought a copy, please do and send them to your friends. You can go to um, go to my friend. Uh, David Summerall, his uh, website is stophate.com, stophate.com. But he also is involved with the American Gulag Chronicles. He went there with two guys to film the events of January 6th. And they've got, and he put together with another friend of mine from the UK, put together a lot of the footage from all different sources that were used to put together that 14,000 hours of footage. Uh, They took his stuff and literally uh, took everything out of it for the January 6th commission. They didn't want any part of what David had uh, in the January 6th commission. That was the most phony setup in the world, and thank God they got rid of Liz Cheney in uh, my good oh. friend, Harriet Hageman, won that seat in Wyoming, and she is now the congresswoman <laughs> from Wyoming. Um, anyway. Even the, you know, the Wyoming uh, Republican Party wouldn't even allow her um, campaign signs, her yard signs, they wouldn't distribute them. They wouldn't, no. they wouldn't pass them out, because we drive through Wyoming coming and going from our, you know, mm-hmm. Washington State uh, to uh, South Dakota, and yeah. It's just Harry Hagman signs everywhere, and there wasn't one list chase. Yeah, well, and Harriet won by Harriet won by thirty-seven percent. It was the highest yeah. margin of victory ever in the state of Wyoming in the general election. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, it was. Yeah, I think your competition was a, a social a, a, a woman. A no, social no, I'm worker. sorry. It was in the primary against Liz Cheney. Oh, in the primary. Okay, about. okay, yeah. yeah. Her Democratic uh, yeah. opponent wasn't worth much. I mean, she was no. a socialist, uh, an Indian, a so- and a social worker, 
Well, social workers, that whole profession has absolutely been destroyed. It's it's completely 98% owned by uh, by the Marxist left now. You don't, you, well, you, know. you understand who John, do you know who John Ruskin is, uh, Diane? Have you heard that name? It sounds he, familiar, but I don't know. He was the uh, professor that um, he was, um, uh, and created a position, a chair position for him uh, in the UK, and I don't remember exactly which one uh, of the major universities, but they created a chair position for him and this was something that was promoted uh, as a way to indoctrinate people. He was the founder of the Fabian group, the Fabian Society. Are you talking Sir John Ruskin? Apparently. Yeah, I have his quote right above my office door here. It wasn't a communist quote. It said, there's hardly anything that someone can't make worse and sell for less. And whoever buys on price alone <laughs> is that man's lawful victim. By the way, John Ruskin also had a, Sir John Ruskin, if that's the same one we're talking about, also had a problem with sex. Um, he died a virgin, uh, and uh, it was uh, I was reading a short autobiography about this. But his wife, he married her, and when she disrobed, he saw her pubic hair. And he freaked out and ran out of the room, and that was it. He never, he never went any further. And uh, mm -hmm. so that guy, let's say, had issues. <laughs> Besides well, communism, uh, I think it was Oxford. I'm not sure, but I think it was Oxford yeah, uh, University that he was given a yeah. chair position, and they yeah, created so. the whole yeah. program. Sociology didn't exist yeah. before John Ruskin. Yeah, mm -hmm. Same with that. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and you and you don't even want to. You know, it's gotten so bad. You 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 cannot trust. Um, if you're having some problems and you want to talk to a counselor about something, you can't trust them. They mm -hmm. no, I'm ser serious. They might turn you into the thought police, especially in Washington State if they ever set up this this uh, this system. Um, a relative of mine uh, was working for. I'll just give you an example. She's now living in Texas. Uh, she was working for the Washington State. Um, human services or whatever. And her position was to investigate uh, allegations of elder abuse or, or elder neglect. Okay. That was her job. And um, to make a long story short, she, she escaped about two years ago when they wanted to do the um, vaccinations, they made it mandatory for public employees to be vaccinated with COVID and uh, no. And so she got a job in Texas, but anyway, she had this one client one time, a man in his early 90s, and had had some bucks was in, and was living alone. And he had some type of an incident at home, and he wound up in the hospital, or, you know, the ambulance came, and they took him. And uh, when the social worker came in to talk to him and was trying to figure out where, where he was at mentally, you know, they asked you questions about the date and this, who's president, you know, stuff like that. And uh, he, this was several years ago, and he said... Um, he said, uh, Trump, uh, and I gave, gave you know, pr Trump is president, and he made some positive remark about Trump and said that he'd given some, he donated money to the Trump campaign. That's all it took to label him as um, 
I don't know, dementia or not capable of taking care of himself. And that's what wow. got him on the list that wound up with my my relative. I don't want to give my too much information about her, get her in trouble. But um uh yeah. And so she had to go meet with him and figure out, yeah, but they labeled him as mm-hmm. mentally whatever defective, you know, maybe dementia or something, simply because he gave money to Trump. That's it. That was it, according to her. And when she did the investigation, no, he could live alone. He wasn't being neglected. You know, he could handle his own affairs and so on and so forth. Of course, the government wants to take over uh, the elder person's uh, financial affairs if they can, so they can mm-hmm. rob him blind, you know, and stick him away somewhere. But uh well, that's one example of social workers. This is what's going on with social mm-hmm. workers. And I had, and I dealt with this for the la- last 20 years uh, in my legal practice and dealing with social workers in different capacities. They're, they're, they're all owned. They're trained that way now. They're well, they're socialists. So, uh, uh, sociology yes, is the, the teaching of socialism. And that's why it's important for people to understand what a what a social worker is. They're, they're uh, being taught to promote socialism. Well, now, yeah, uh, yeah. That's what the uh, And more so it. now maybe than 20 or 30 years ago. And now that, you know, they're supposed to care. I really believe in the past, people went into that profession because they cared about people. But I have since learned and begun to recognize, because I, I've known social workers over the years, a lot of them, as soon as they discover that the person, the human being sitting in front of them is a conservative or a faithful Christian, something clicks in them like, well, like kryptonite. They don't want to be around that person. Mm-hmm. I'm serious when I say that. I'm serious. So how do you get counseling? How do you get proper counseling if you're, you, you know, you got a problem, maybe you got a drinking problem or something, they discovered you, you, you voted for Trump. How are they going to treat you? You get my point here? That's their attitude? I I do, but they are controlling. It's like we go back to what we said an hour ago. They are controlling the narrative. Why should they control the narrative? We're talking maybe 5 or 10% of the population in the United States actually would agree with what they're trying to promote. That's probably 90 to 95% of the country, if you got it down to a very basic debate, would agree with us. Oh, yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Right, absolutely. Yeah. We are being killed because we've allowed them to control the narrative. We yes. need to stand yes. up. America, yes. you need to get off your butt, stand on your two good yes. legs, and start being part of the solution and quit being the problem. One of the things that I've been, by the way, there's a picture there of uh, me with uh, Trump and Pence, and uh, they, uh, they oh. came through town and they wanted my endorsement and all that, which I gave to them. I was a Ryan guy, um, uh, Ted Cruz guy. I mean, Ted Cruz guy, and uh, Heidi Cruz and I did some campaigning for Ted, and then he lost the uh, lost the primary. So I was for Trump after that. So there they are. They'll really think I'm crazy, you know, for having my arms around those two guys. By the way, I also have a picture with Liz Cheney with her arms around me. I don't know what to do with Did that. that be okay? <laughs> you really... know, that's funny. I was a Ted Cruz woman to, you know, until he dropped out also. 
Yeah, I really like that a lot. Very impressive. Yes, very. I, impressive. I like oh. his wife Heidi. I I rent uh, in this office building here. I rent to seven uh, different psychologists, and uh, they're all they're all evangelical Christians. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, and they're conservatives, but they have to watch everything that they say in trying to help their clients Told get you. well. I know. And one of them uh, was a, a, an addict to pornography. And uh, so he said to his client, you know, you really don't need to live like this, which is what a counselor should say, you know, and part of the, but he was reported and his license was on the line. It was, it all just, uh, Finally, it worked out for him. They they found him not guilty. But just for those words, you See, don't have to live like this. Bingo, bingo. This is how exactly, exactly. They're scared all the time and nervous, and they have to be tippy toe around. The same with attorneys. It's getting almost that bad. I think it's worse in the social, uh, social work uh, arena. I think it's worse than than the, at least in the uh, Oregon attorney arena. But, uh, but yeah, you never know who's, uh, and they're trying to, when they, uh, tried to disbar me three times because I wrote articles they didn't like, um, let me back up. That's way out of their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. They are only allowed to discipline you if you do something within your realm as an attorney, you know, you steal money from a client, you, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you could get in trouble for, like not showing up for a trial. So you hurt, it hurts the client's case, you know, stuff like that and stuff. So they have absolutely no jurisdiction over, you know, me writing an article that, you know, but they three times tried to disbar me anyway. Well, that's an intimidation tactic. It's to keep force me to shut up. But I think it's a broader, broader than that. They want to scare everybody else because when the word gets out that, that Diane is in trouble with the bar because she wrote this article, well, what's that going to, that's the chilling effect. Everybody else is going to go, Oh, I guess I don't dare write any articles either. Um, and of course the goalpost keeps changing. You may be able to write something today about such and such, but a month later, no, because the woke crowd keeps changing the rules, keep changing what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. Of course, to keep you off base. I mean, that's the point of it. You're shaking your head there, Dan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's always to keep everybody like this, just like that all the time. Well, I was, I told, I told on one of the cases, it was, um, I, I hired an attorney and I told him, I said, look, I'm getting ready to retire anyway. And it usually takes four years to disbar somebody. The process is pretty drug out. And I said, just I just want to hang on to my license for about two more years. So let's just stall the process. Well, when I finally, when I did uh, uh, re retire in January 2020, those three cases had been dismissed because they're just, I mean, there was no substance to them. They couldn't do anything. You know, one of them, I didn't even bother hiring an attorney. I just sent him the First Amendment. I sent him a copy of the first event <laughs> and they dropped it. But anyway, I know it sounds well, amusing. Diane. One of the things the bar has been trying to do is make change the disciplinary rules to where it gets into everything you do 24 seven in your life, not just what you do as an attorney. Now think about that. Wow. For anybody, I mean, any profession, think about it. 
Wow. So anyway, what were you going to well, say? Well, you 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 are definitely in the majority. Okay. But look at how effective they have become because they have been able to control the narrative. That's what we've got to win back is the narrative. And the only way we're going to do that is with programs like this and you coming out and saying what you're saying. And George, um, you know, that that's why this is so important. But um, take a look at what happened in the election 2020. Now, according to legitimate, I think very reliable people, and I did see a lot of this information from multiple different sources, uh, they even admitted that uh, Donald Trump had a record number of votes, the highest ever, except that China Joe got a few more. <laughs> and uh, there's all kinds of evidence that uh, over 20 million votes were flipped from uh, Trump to Biden via the computers uh, being manipulated in China and Serbia and all over uh, the world that were flipping votes. But we won't, we won't go there. We'll just say that there were a lot of questions about the election. They were legitimate questions. They should have been brought before state courts. They should have been uh, brought before the Supreme Court. They should have been brought before Congress. Look at how they controlled the narrative and all that went away. And now anybody who talks about the elections is an election denier. This is how they can control the narrative. People wake up. This yeah. is happening because we're allowing it to happen. Wake up, smell the yes. coffee, get off yes. your butt, and start. When they say something, just say no. I'm not going to play the game. Well, and this is what got me started with uh, writing. I, I used to write for blogs, uh, but then I started again with Substack in 2022. And the, and the main reason was I spent one whole month researching this issue of election fraud. And by that time, there was enough data to where there were a number of states where we we knew, I mean, this was not a secret. They had done the count that, that Biden won by, you know, X number, but then the fraudulent votes were like 10 times as many. So there were these states mm -hmm. where it was 100% for sure, Biden did not win, Trump won, but yet who's sitting in the White House, right? So I, I, I did this research. I wrote a letter to the editor of my little teeny Long Beach Peninsula newspaper, which, by the way, small town newspapers in Oregon, Washington, California are not owned by real people anymore. They're corporate owned. And this one is owned by um, e EO Media, Media out of Salem, Oregon, about 150 miles away. Anyway, so the, I, I and us being fairly new there, um, I was not fully aware of how completely, um, how do I say it, how much they propagandized for the for the Democrats and suppressed everything else. So anyway, so I wrote this letter to the editor, and he and I, we've never met, but I also research and write about um, 
Lewis and Clark, which is a big deal there on the peninsula because that's where Lewis and Clark arrived at the the Pacific Ocean. So they're a big deal. So anyway, so he's printed some of my articles. He's asked for my 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 articles and he's printed them. So we're kind of I thought we were kind of buddies. So. Uh, wrong. So he takes my uh, my letter to the editor and I had three or four specific points with backup documentation about the numbers of, you know, the fraud. Like one was Nevada, I think, and one was uh, Wisconsin. I can't remember anyway. So I wrote that letter to him. He took out all the facts to back up my opinion, gutted it, and published it. So it was like, oh, I don't know, uh, five or six sentences of, of Crazy Diane rattling on, prattling on about how the election was stolen because he, he gutted it. And so I took <laughs> <laughs> so it's all his fault. I now write for Substack. So I took that research, made it into, expanded it, and that, and made it into an article. And then I was off and running. But I love your articles, by the way, Diane. I want to mention. <laughs> I do too. Wanna, mm -hmm. If you folks on this show want to hear a little bit of Diane, it won't be a show nearly this long. But uh, go to Tea with George, teawithgeorge.com, and. Uh, I do a one minute a day uh, spot, and yes, yesterday was on the most evil man in, on the planet, and that's George Soros, whom I grew to fear and hate him when I lived in Germany. And he was a currency manipulator, and he brought down entire economies during what he did. Now he's uh, short trading yeah. on uh, bank stocks and bringing banks down. And he's making billions doing this, which of course he'll be using against us. But the man, I don't know how, what is he, 95 years old? How, yeah, about uh, that, give or take, 92 maybe. Yeah. Just a horrible person. But yeah. um, a lot of my listeners hear one minute a day from me on that and and uh, on yesterday with George Soros. I don't know what, I, I haven't heard myself today, so I forgot what I talked about. but. Diane and Professor Putney and I have a little thing going, um, and uh, yeah. we're suspending it for a little bit because our intern who does all the technical stuff is a thumper, like Thumper does for you. He's He's gone now, so we have to figure out what to do. <laughs> You've lost your slave labor. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, you, uh, Diane, I mean... Uh, you, you know, I know you were nervous. You said, well, you know, what what are we going to talk about? What are we going uh, yeah, to? And, and I up. told you, I, I told I told you, I said, look, uh, we, we are so relaxed. This is such a conversation. You are not going to have a problem with this conversation. Uh, we can't even begin to scratch the surface of all the crap that we need to be talking about. But wokeness in Washington. I want you to talk about what's happened in Seattle, what's happened in Portland, uh, the Antifa, the BLM, all the woke stuff that's gone on in those uh, two cities and how that's impacting the, the, the whole state. Because the reality is, is we're losing our cities and we're losing our states. And when everything collapses, it's yeah. not going to be us that are the ones that are going to be able to straighten it out because they're taking away all of our all of our tools to do that. So maybe uh, talk about that if you would, Diane, please. 
Well, do you know what cow is? C-O-W? You haven't heard that term? I've heard. It's, I've heard it. I don't remember. California, Oregon, and Washington. Cow. Oh, I, you can't hardly tell not... the difference any. Oh, oh. You can't hardly tell the difference anymore. Yes, there are three distinct borders, I guess you could say. But the three governors, uh, or you know, the governors, the last decade or so, they've piggybacked on each other's destructive Marxist ideas. So you can't even tell the difference. But just for your uh, your your audience, um, I lived in Portland until um, from the seventies until um, late uh, 2020 when we moved to the beach house, which we had purchased in the nineties. So so we were we watched Portland and some of the suburbs be turned into hell holes, basically, little by little over the years. They, the deterioration really, really accelerated in the last, so I'm going to say decade or so. And um, um, Antifa was born in Portland in 2007. That's mm-hmm. my understanding of it. And uh, mm-hmm. Andy No, NGO, I've met him. We were on the stage together at one point. Um, he, uh, his parents are refugees from Vietnam. There's a lot of them in Portland, by the way. Um, anyway, um, and, um, uh, anyway, his, his, his book Unmask is that, you know, explains it all, but we were aware even before he started writing it, um, as he wrote it, I think in 2021, he's been beaten to a pulp twice and they, they won't prosecute his, they know who, the, who, who's beaten him up, but they won't prosecute it. Yeah, uh, the, the 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 thugs, but uh, uh, it started in 2007. I wasn't fully aware of it for I don't know how long, and then um, uh, and what and what their goal is, what their plan is. Who knows? They're just thugs. They are. They have no. Uh, how do I? Say? They have no ideological bent. Not really. They just are are dysfunctional people that have to get their hatred out by you know, abusing other people, you know, marching around, pretending to be important and vandalizing and so forth. They didn't get really, really violent, at least from my point of view, uh, until uh, BLM uh, was created and joined forces. And then starting in roughly 2015, they were rioting in downtown Portland like every weekend or so. And and then, of course, when uh, Trump was elected, then normal people joined these thugs normal regular everyday mm-hmm. people joined the thugs i'm not kidding you okay attorneys were joining them all right i still remember the day when i'm at this event this uh, this evening get together and i am sitting between two women one was in her 70s one was in her 60s i never met them before and they were discussing the rioting that that they did in downtown portland that morning and I thought they were joking. I'm going, what? And they were explaining how if you put Maalox on your face, it keeps off, it protects it from the uh, tear gas from the police. And I literally, I mean, I just thought they were joking. I go, what? What are you talking about? What? But, um, okay, so I'm getting, getting carried away here. Um, so the stage was all set for, you know, George Floyd, St. George, you know, the stage was all set because we had all of it. And I, I need to point out here, the B, I don't know about back east. The BLM in Portland and Antifa, for that matter, they're all pasty white. You'll see very few people mm-hmm. that aren't pasty white. 
in, in these mm-hmm. amongst these thugs. They're, they're not interested in justice for anything. They just want to destroy, 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 destroy. And when they're they, anarchists. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. it's hard to explain. And, and, and even Andy, no, he, he, he's, even though he's hiding out in London because he's, you know, he's had a hit put on him. Uh, he's literally, he had to move from Portland and uh, they still, as I understand it, harass his parents, his elderly parents that are there are still in Portland. And, um, and he can't get any police protection at all. And uh, so he he keeps track. And if you go on his uh, website every now and again, I haven't been on it for a while. He he says about 20 percent of the people that are arrested. And again, not very many are arrested because the the powers of be in Portland love all this violence. They love it. OK, do you have to do something pretty? You know, you have to be up there and and thuggery to get arrested, right? 20% of them are um, people that claim to be transgender. Really? I'm just putting it out there for what it's worth. Of course, that's mental illness. I think most people were not all, certainly not all, but some, I don't know. Anyway, that's, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and it's just encouraged the mayor there, Ted Wheeler. Um, he got he got reelected even that after half the city was burnt down. Uh, he got reelected, if you can believe it. And uh, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. There's none, you know, the homeless problem. You no longer own your home there. If somebody decides they want to move into your backyard, or when you're at work, move into your house, the the police are not allowed to to evict them. The courts want a victim. Mm-hmm. They all I mean, it's just it's just beyond. You can't even wrap your head around some of the, what's going on in there. That now, so Ted Wheeler. I mean, talk about woke. Uh, he had the chutzpah, or maybe I should say guts. Chutzpah. Maybe that's a better word. Anyway, he actually went on Fox here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, 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 Lawrence Jones, an ex. Uh-huh extensive interview and i was surprised he would do that uh ted wheeler's such a weasley he's a trust fund baby he never had to live or work for a living um and he was just like biden pretending like what when lawrence jones is asking him questions about how portland's disintegrated and lawrence jones has been there has been there quite a few times the last mm-hmm. two years ted wheeler goes huh what are you talking about we're doing this great <laughs> It's building coming right back up. No, no, no. We've got new. No, we're not losing businesses. No, we've got more businesses coming in. Because <laughs> all the because all the stores are shuttered up and they've got the mm. uh, plywood across the windows. It's like what the hell? Why? I mean, I don't understand these some of these woke Marxist politicians. It's like they live in their own little bubble. They think people are going to believe yeah. what they say. As long as I, they control the narrative, but they, they don't control it. If you go, if you go on uh, Lawrence Jones's show, he Lawrence Jones, who's a, a nice young man, he's not even thirty years old. Uh, you know, not not as forceful an interviewer as some are, but he basically shot him down. He wasn't going to let him get away with the lies. So I kind of wonder why Ted Wheeler would go on that show, and to, and it, it, when he didn't have to go on at all. And well, he won't again. I can almost guarantee <laughs> you that. So no, uh, but it's yeah. it's pretty bad. But one of the things, okay, Seattle. Well, Portland only had one murder, and uh, then they wouldn't. And and 
Ugh, never mind, I could go into details. They didn't even issue the arrest warrant for five days. And this was a known thug mm -hmm. with a record. They knew who he was on site. He executed a man walking down the street because he had a Trump hat on, hat on or MAGA hat or something. He executed him. It was on tape. They waited five days to issue the arrest warrant. When they knew where he lived, they could have just driven right over there right then and arrested him. And this is... Mm -hmm. And he wound up actually in uh, Lacey, Washington, and the uh, FBI had to go after federal marshals, I guess, because he, he, uh, he crossed state lines. And by that time, he had an arrest warrant out for him and uh, five days late. And the marshals went and, and tried to arrest him, and he resisted, and they killed him. And then Seattle, of course, had two murders. Both murders were of black teenagers. Yoo-hoo, Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter doesn't care about breathing black people and um but one of the things about the long beach peninsula is it is now filling up with seattle and portland riot refugees <laughs> so kind of like us <laughs> and, and and the property values are going up and so forth and so on and of course a lot of the refugees are democrats and already people are talking about how the uh, the voting patterns are going to be changing by 2024 we were a Trump county in 2016 and a Trump county in 2020, but we don't think we'll be a Trump county in 2024 because it's because uh, of the changes. So, uh, so that's how they do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how I they mean, do it. They they spread the wealth, uh, and I, that's appropriate. I have I I guess that wasn't the term I was used to, the cow, but it makes sense <laughs> because they've certainly learned how to milk the system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so it's um and one but one of the things is it's interesting though we didn't really realize it until we started living more spending more time at our beach house because we're living there and then we bought this place in Custer. But there are there are liberals in all these locations, but the difference is the liberals in the Portland area are nasty. I mean just generally speaking with other people. They're not as friendly. They're not as polite. Uh, they don't smile. They don't act like they're happy people. And yet, in these other places, again, I know they are. There are liberals there. I, I'm friends with them and stuff, and acquaintances. They're happier than the mm -hmm. liberals in the Portland area. I mean, it's just that difference. And in Custer, everybody's happy. Everybody in South Dakota is happy. You know, it's a whole different mindset when you get away from. I don't know the oppression that you know living in a in a democrat controlled uh, uh, city for any length of time you start to feel so oppressed it, it it is depression depressing to live in that environment mm -hmm. uh, well see they they are that way because they believe that they are victims they believe that they are being oppressed by us they have convinced Ow. themselves. I know, but that's the point. They, the, the, they control the narrative, and they have convinced themselves that the reason they are the way they are is because we are just so damned awful, and we are trying to destroy their lives. Now, this is a kind of looted crap that goes on in a a progressive liberal's mind, but I 
I, I grew up around people like that. My, I, I think I've told Georges, you don't know this, but my dad was a communist. Uh, his whole family were progressive socialists. Uh, they had the most diluted view of the world that you could possibly imagine. They were nice people. They were well-meaning, but they did not have a clue. And uh, the biggest thing, they didn't have a clue. They didn't have the slightest understanding of how economics in a free market economy could possibly work. They were so committed to this Marxist socialist crap that they would not even look at how anybody could make a living in a free market economy. They equated everything to being... Um, uh, turning uh, the rich guys, turning everybody else into victims. But well, what did they do for a living? What they oh, do my for dad a living? was a farmer. He died when I was only seven. He was a pauper. Uh, he died and left my mom in terrible financial shape. Uh, my uncle uh, Harold, who was the kind of the uh, the bright light of the family, was a uh, uh, GS sixteen with the Department of the Interior. He ended up actually at one time being the head of the uh, Denver, Colorado uh, Federal uh, Department of the Interior branch. Huh. And uh, yeah, he, he was a retired high, Navy commander. Yeah, I was right up the top. And uh, but yeah. they, he was the nicest man. I loved the guy. He was a nice man. He was a great chess player. Uh, he was. But a he was brilliant. communist. Brilliant mind. No, he was a socialist. My dad was the communist. Oh, okay. Um, but but uh, he was he was the second oldest brother, so he had a lot of impact on the younger ones. Mm -hmm. And my uncle Harold was actually one of the youngest brothers, and he was the nicest man. I mean, but he married a lady who was just as as goofy and socialist as he was they raised kids that were just outrageously in, in, indoctrinated into the system and uh, it's just the way it works uh, you know I, and it doesn't mean they're bad people it just means they're totally screwed up and don't understand how economics work george i know you've got input into that comment we've only got a few minutes left but i want to get you back in the discussion uh, isn't that true? Dan, I'm listening to this right now, and I'm wondering how you turned out so normal uh, in, in my family. I'm not normal. I'm, I'm, I'm not normal, but I will tell you why part of it was my dad passed away when I was really young. So I didn't, I didn't have a lot of that influence. And by the time I got to know his family very well, uh, I was already an adult. So it didn't really matter at that point. Yeah, I was raised on a small dairy farm, and uh, but we we were poor. If you've read the book Surviving mm -hmm. Georgie, which people can go to survivinggeorgie.com, only book endorsed by both Focus on the Family and Saturday Night Live. By the way, I met you via my agent, Pat mm -hmm. Matriciana, and right. he had all kinds of plans for me, and then he died. And that Ooh. just broke my heart so bad I didn't get a second printing. Maybe I'll take it back up if I find another great agent like Pat. But uh, you, you and me, <laughs> we're together mm -hmm. because of Pat. Anyway, we didn't think of ourselves as poor, 
And we boys were taught, if you want to go, if you want to make some money, make some money. So we trapped muskrats and minks in the winter. Uh, we were in a hunting economy. If you wanted to eat something, you went and shot something. Um, you'd raise a calf into a cow and sell it, make a make a profit on doing that. And uh, so we were, even though we were small dairy farmers and, and um, we thought of ourselves as really well off, even though... Mm-hmm. By today's standards, we weren't. If you wanted some money, just go get some money. And when my daughters were growing up, I taught one to play guitar, the other to play bass. And when they were in college, they never wrote home for money or asked for money. They would just go to the local bar or local coffee shop, whatever, and they did something called tips and tapes. And those two little girls would pull down $300, $400 a night just playing some music. And uh, so I I just came from a family that if you want something, just go get it. It's there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet you turned out, you turned out fabulous. If you were my son, I'd be very, very proud. Yes. And nowadays, and nowadays they, they just pound their fists and demand that, that somebody that worked for their Mm -hmm. wages, turn them over to them. And that's what the younger people nowadays do, or at least some of them is like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Not my kids and not my grandkids. They're no. not going to be like that. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, well, that's good. That's the way to do it. Uh, folks, I hate to say that, but we are out of time. Uh, uh, Diane, I told you it would go way faster than you thought. It did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we could do this for another couple hours. I know that for a fact. Uh the uh, hosts of the program after us, uh, you don't say, are ready to go. So, Diane, tell our listeners again how they read your articles on Substack. Well, yeah, I'm on Substack, and you can just uh, type in my name, uh, Diane L. Gruber, or you could. I call myself America First Reignited. America First Reignited. So I think you can just find me by mm-hmm. either my name or the the title of my little blog there. So, uh, yeah, I've been posting almost every, I've been researching, writing, and publishing almost every day. <laughs> it's like I a fire hose. Any- it's like drinking out of a fire hose. There's so much destruction going on. My brain just, you know, I have like zillion unfinished articles, you know. It's well, God cathartic. bless you because you finished a lot of them and they're good. You're a good writer. I, I really appreciate a good writer. George, uh, thank you again for being our uh, our guest. Uh, good good luck on the upcoming uh, uh, lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope you make a, a a lot of millions out of it. Uh, frankly, I I hope that you're vindicated. That's really what it's all about. It's vindicated. I hope so. By yes. the way, if, if you want to hear a minute of me, go to teawithgeorge.com, and you'll find Diane as well. Okay, teawithgeorge.com. And Diane L. Gruber at Substack.com. And uh, thank you both for being guests today. This was a great discussion. I look forward to seeing you again soon. I, I hope you'll come back. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee. Across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A.
there's pride in every American heart. And it's time we stand and say. There ain't no doubt.